And that leads us to the scripture this morning. As Shannon comes to read the scripture, these are exceptionally familiar words. If I could, I would change one word. This is the phrase that you will hear in the midst of the scripture. Inasmuch as have you, you have done it, inasmuch as you have done it for the least of these, you have done it for me. I would replace the word it with with. With with. See if that makes sense to you, and then I'll deal with it a little more in the sermon. Hear the word from the book of Matthew. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are cursed, depart from me into the evil eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not give me clothing, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you or hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Well, whether or not you care about the Super Bowl, uh, whether or not you care that it's San Francisco or Baltimore, whether or not you care about the running backs or the quarterback, for many, that is no longer the reason they watch the game. Right? For many, it has so much less to do with football and so much more to do with the ads. But something's happened this year in the midst of the ads. And now we get to kind of see a prequel of the ads on occasion, and particularly online. And it's just phenomenal to me where these ads have gone. 
But again, the purpose of ads in any situation, and particularly the amount of money that people pay for the Super Bowl ads, is to somehow convince us that we need to go a different direction. Right? That we need to do more than we've done before. That we need to buy this element. Or, or do this instead of that. Or concentrate in this area of our lives rather than the other. Here's the deal that's happened this week. Inasmuch as ads often are designed to hold our memories, where we've gone now in the ads, particularly in this Super Bowl, are shock treatment. And much of it sexual. And it's just phenomenal to me that this is where we've gone. I, I was, I was, as I was researching this, uh, bizarre research, I will tell you, uh, of, of some of the ads that are going to be shown and just watching the multiple kinds of takes on these ads and how shocking they want them to be. What's going to be shown and what isn't and why. It is amazing to me that this is where we've come. Partly because uh, just even from a pure marketing perspective, if you do something so drastic and so memorable, if you will, you're not going to remember what the product was. You're going to remember what happened in this ad. But again, the purpose of these ads is to somehow make us shift. To concentrate somewhere else or to do something or buy something else. And it's phenomenal that so much of these are now focused on you. You alone. You are the one. You are the most important. The way you project yourself is more important than anything. And yet it goes against so much of what we learn and what we teach and what we are, I think, as Christian people. Again, I want to remind us one more time where we've come in the last three weeks. Three weeks ago, I, I talked about this new vision and gave you kind of an example of that. And we began, and part of the vision is around three questions. At the end of the vision statement are three questions. Am I involved in a worship experience or a class that takes me deeper in my faith? This is an expectation now of those coming into this church. Am I involved in a life-renewing group with relationships that allow me to be accountable and go deeper in my life? And question number three then is, am I involved in an area of service to God and to those in need? Well, again, I spent a lot of time examining this and, and looked at a comparison between just the word altruism. Altruism. Being altruistic means that we give of ourselves or give of our resources to someone else. That is the most pure definition of altruism that I can find. And I, again, looked at varieties of dictionaries. It is us giving to another. And, and, and it's a beautiful thing. But it isn't deep enough. It is not deep enough for us as Christian people. It has to go deeper than that. You see in the title of the sermon that it's about saving. This is a word that's been bantied around so often and for so many years and it has been so misconstrued that I, misconstrued that I want to talk a little bit more about that in just a second. Because saving isn't just, it really isn't at all about something that happens after this life is over. The more important aspect of saving has everything to do with bringing heaven to earth today. In our lives, in the lives, and particularly in the lives of those in need. Well, 
If we call ourselves Christian, then what we have to do is, is see ourselves as followers of Jesus. And so let's go back and just take a step back and look at the way that Jesus served. I have 12 specific ways that was able to kind of pull out of Scripture as consistencies around the service that Jesus offered. 12 things. Think about this as we move beyond altruism. Number one, Jesus most often responded to a clearly identified need. Often that need was placed right in front of him. There was never a time that he didn't respond to that need. Ever. Ever. The need was often immediate, and it, it dealt with he dealt with physical, spiritual, even emotional aspects of people's lives, and he faced that need in that moment and dealt with them. The centurion's child, the man with the withered hand, the bleeding woman. We have story after story about this, and particularly focused on healing. Second, he often took time to form a relationship with this person. Sometimes that relationship became immediate. For instance, the bleeding woman, bleeding for 30 years, immediately that relationship was established. Others, it took a little longer. The woman at the well in Samaria, he took a lot of time developing the relationship with her, helping her understand her own story. But no matter when, the relationship was established. Third, he often ignored the formal law and took the formal law into a different direction and made it much more personal and organic. The organic law was much more important to him than the formal law. He healed on the Sabbath. The way he fed the 5,000, that became that looking beyond the formality of the law became the root of much of his teaching. And it was part of what cost him his life in the end. More on that in just a second. Number four, there wasn't a moment in time when he didn't see himself as family to the person in need. I want to say that again. There wasn't one time, wasn't one, where he didn't see himself as family, family to the person in need for those he sought to serve. We see him identifying as father, as brother, even as mother, and particularly even with those who are not of his blood family. No matter what the need, no matter what the need, even beyond family, he saw himself as friend. Number five, he always recognized that there are two different kinds of needs that need to be dealt with. There are the surface needs, and there are the deeper needs. Look at the paralytic your sins are forgiven. Now I'm going to heal your body. And over and over and over, he took the time that was necessary to look at both of those sets of needs, the more overt need and those that were beyond the surface. And it was in taking those beyond the surface that he developed those trust and relationships. Number six, almost every time he brought it back to God in faith. That this is a God who wants you to be whole. And I am the representation of that God who desperately wants you to be whole. Number seven, there was always teaching involved. Here's why God wants you to be whole. And here are some things that you can do. And here are those places in the law that 
tell you not to be whole, or people are taking advantage of this. This is God's intent, and now let me teach you about this. Number eight, it was always, 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 without exception, focused in the needs beyond himself. Always focused in the needs beyond himself. Always. Always. It was never about his need to serve. Ninth, there was accountability within the share. Almost without exception, there was instruction that happened after he served someone about what was next. Some kind of level of accountability within those relationships. Number ten, he was not picky. He didn't say, well, I'm really comfortable in solving or serving this need. I'm not so comfortable working with you. It never mattered to him who it was that was in front of him with the need. A centurion, a Samaritan woman, it doesn't matter. Somebody, a Syrophoenician woman, a hated enemy, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Even in those places where it made others exceptionally uncomfortable and angry, he served. He served. Number 11. It was often pretty simple. Often was simple. No fanfare, no big awestruck thing, just the answering of the need. And number 12, and here's what's key, it always came at a cost. A cost of energy, of time, of focus, of food, of sacrifice. It's why he often had to go off by himself to pray and have a Sabbath time where he could recover gain energy, gain, regain focus so that he could then go back out and serve. Twelve identifiable pieces in the life of Jesus and not, not one of them can we ignore if we are to truly understand Christian service. There is a difference, friends, between altruistic service and radical hospitality service. Radical hospitality was a significant part of the Old Testament. It meant you gave of what you had. You dealt with relationships even at your own expense at times. You always gave to the need of that stranger or that person. Always, always, without exception. And therein lies the difference. Christian service requires those kinds of things moving us beyond our level of comfort or those things that make us comfortable. Altruism is often simple acts of giving to answer a need. Yes, Christian service is giving because we know of both levels of need, not just those that are identified but our own need to give. If you want to talk about saving souls, part of what saved our souls is when we give. It is one of the most powerful elements there is in the world today, and there is never a place where there isn't a need. I talked to the children in first service and then talked to their parents a little bit about some of this. You know what my background is, and those, and working in identifying those things um, that when present in the lives of our children place them at higher risk for a, a variety of challenges and maladies. What research came out with, 35 to 50 years of research came out with, was that, you know what, there's one thing that is more powerful than anything else in reducing risk in our kids. One thing. 
allowing them to see themselves as a significant contributor to the life of another human being. But here's the key to that. We have to mentor them to do that. We have to give them significant opportunities for significant places of significant involvement. We have to help them understand how to do this, why to do this, where to do this, and what to do. And walk with them as they take this on. Allow them to fail at times and then go back again and get better and better and better at this. Teaching them the skills of what it means to to give. Then, reinforce that in our own lives so that they see it in us. Recognize them for what they're doing. And see the rewards that come with this. Not only in our lives, but in the world. What does that do? It helps them understand that they can be bonded and make a difference in their lives that are not negative. If you want to know the one thing that changed the games of Sunnyside, when we did that work for five years in a terrible area, it was that. These kids found that they could make a significant positive difference in the life of somebody else. So I have to ask you this morning, as we look at this as an expectation of what it means to be involved in this church, I know that many of you are involved in places of service. Now I want to go back to the scripture that Shannon read. In as much as you have done it, for the least of these, for you see the other thing that takes it deeper it's when we form relationships in those places where we're giving. And I don't mean just meeting you as I'm handing you a plate of food. Where that goes deeper is when we learn the stories and share our stories with others. When we allow ourselves to be uncomfortable in some situations or some places. When we understand where they're coming from and what's going on in their lives, that takes it deeper. And then we have the confidence also and the need to share some of our struggles and some of our stories. Inasmuch as you have done it with, not for, with the least of these, you've done it for me. Inasmuch as you have done it sharing serving, humbling yourself, being with, walking with, sharing with the least of these. The hungry, the poor, the downtrodden, the voiceless. You go to this list. With is the key word here. So I'm asking you, where are you being with the least of these? So here's the challenge, and I'll close with this thought. Again, there's a difference between altruism, our recognized need to give, and being with and walking with those in need. I think many of you are involved in organizations right now where you offer pieces of yourself. I'm asking you to go deeper. And if you are not involved in somewhere like that right now, I want to challenge you to find that place. I will admit to you that, you know, 
been exploring this for many, many years of where it is that I want to make a difference. Which is odd, isn't it, for a pastor to say those words? But I will now tell you, and I have told some of you before, I've made my choice of where I'm going to make a difference beyond my work at Aldersgate. And it is around issues of domestic violence and sexual assault. Of working with places throughout the Northwest where they are caring for victims and doing counseling and and other things for those who are struggling with domestic violence. I've seen what it does firsthand and beyond that. And the challenge is inherent in that. And identifying those outpost organizations where maybe I can help. That's just mine. And I say that not with pride or anything else, but just to give you an example of what we can be doing to make a difference. It will come at a cost. Where's yours? Where's yours? Where are you going to make that difference? Deeper, deeper, deeper difference. Will you pray with me? God, as I stand here with this empty box, and I know that this represents backpacks that we will fill and give to a school, I stand here behind a scarf and a piece of art and a hard hat. I know that these are representative of deeper, deeper things, deeper needs that we have in the community and opportunities to share. This morning I'm asking us to go deeper, beyond a hard hat or a scarf or a piece of art or an empty box. That we see that our giving needs to cost something of ourselves. That if our souls are to really open up, that it has to come at a cost of our own comfort. And if we get nothing else out of the teachings of Christ, that that be that teaching that we are called to go beyond our comfort. And finally, as we prepare to come to this table of grace, Open our hearts to a a heart of commitment, no matter where we're involved now, to go deeper. To be in relationship, knowing that it will change our lives and the lives of others. It is the miracle of this kind of service. Save us from ourselves. All this we ask in Christ's name. Amen.